kura kaupapa Māori o ngā mokupuna, a Māori immersion area school in the coastal suburb of Seaton in Wellington. The school has a role of close to 100 children from year one all the way up to year 13 and draws its students from all over Wellington. Its tūmuaki, or principal, is Englishman Mark Bradley. One of the key differences of Kurukopapa is that uh, the schools are Māori only speaking um, apart from uh, there will be an English classroom in the Farikura. Uh, English isn't taught in the primary school and um, there is a, a, a space in the Tari in the admin block where non-Māori speaking visitors and whānau can have meetings. So um, we're in your office currently, Mark, and, yep. and this is one of the few places uh, in the whole school where, where English is spoken. Yeah, and because we've inherited a, an old school, it actually sits right in the middle of the school. What we would prefer, our long-term vision, would be to have the administration block right by the entranceway and to have the English classroom alongside it, to have designated meeting rooms so that um, people coming into the office know that it's a bilingual space, that Māori still takes precedence, but that English is allowed. But once they go through the doors of the admin block, then it is only Māori spoken through the rest of the school. And given, given that we're in situ, uh, which isn't renowned as a Māori-speaking suburb, it's important that we um, provide that environment for our tamariki because... A lot of them will come from Māori only speaking homes, and so the Māori is their first language, so that's the language they're most familiar with. So there's no problem, uh, you don't have to uh, patrol the school making sure everyone stays speaking te reo Māori. It's not a oh, we're, we're lucky, we're very lucky in this kura. Most of the students will speak in Māori. Of course, they use English words from time to time. One of our big challenges is making sure that we keep up to date with the latest technologies and provide the language so that our tamariki can communicate about the things that they're interested in. They are digital natives. Um, most students have access to cell phones and so they have access to the world. But because their thought processes are mainly in Māori, we need to provide them with the language that they can communicate about anything they want to communicate about. So it's uh, Pokemon and video games and all those things. Absolutely. Luckily, there, there's a pool of very go-ahead Māori teachers and other users of Māori who live in the same world and so want words for, for new phenomena. For instance, um, Snapchat is atapaki. Uh, there's about three or four words doing the rounds for selfie. Um, it started out with people saying ahoi, which just sounds awful. Uh, so um, we have uh, matatahi is one word that, that's being used. The main thing is communication. So Mark, uh, take me back a little bit. Uh, how, how did you end up uh, as the principal of this kura? When I, when I hear you speaking in English, I, I, I'm picking a little bit of a, an English accent. Um, I was born in England and lived there my whole life until I was 21. I was given the opportunity to come here to play rugby for a local club side in Wellington and jumped at the opportunity. 
looking back, I realised that a large part of my the attraction of coming to New Zealand, apart from learning rugby, uh, was two important people that I met in the UK. Um, when I was at school, we had a, a New Zealand school teacher came over to coach our, our top side, and he was a Māori All Black uh, called Vance Wiley. And he, he was quite influential on me, just his mana um, around the school. He just had this amazing um, ability to get the best from people and just he had a sort of an iron fist in a velvet glove. He made a big impression. And then later when I was lucky enough to get selected to play for Harlequins in London, one of my team uh, mates was, uh, was another Māori guy from the Hawke's Bay. Um, and before he left to come back to New Zealand, I had my first hangi. Uh, in the back of a pub, where many Australians and New Zealanders have had the experience on their OE of working in pubs. So I spent a few years playing rugby, just made a decision I was going to teach. I went back to university to study and started my ideal journey there at university. Um, So you came here to New Zealand as a Mm 21-year-old, and up until then your only contact with um, Tao Māori had been these, these two guys? Pretty much. I think, you know, in schools in the UK, you maybe learn about New Zealand in geography. I think I remember drawing a map which had Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch on it. I remember that there were a lot of sheep around Canterbury, but that and that Māori people lived here, although I'm sure we didn't pronounce it correctly. And it was the home of the All Blacks. That was pretty much it. So would you have regarded your upbringing as sort of culturally aware, culturally sensitive? Uh, were you kind of aware of the other cultures that floated around your part of the UK? Um, I'd have to say no, really. I grew up in home counties on the Surrey-Hampshire border. It's a very, very Pākehā, middle, middle class part of the country. I would say the vast majority of people who lived there worked in London, commuted on the train every day. Uh, very much commuter belt, quite prosperous, a long history. But the overriding cultural trend was English. And the the expectation, I suppose, was that people fitted in. So did you go, uh, did you go visiting other cultures uh, while, you were, while um, you were in the UK? Um, I, spent, I spent a summer in Switzerland uh, with um, the friends of my mum and her f- family in an attempt to um, upskill my French. We went on a couple of trips to France uh, when I was at school. I visited Portugal. I think it was the, a typical Englishman abroad, you know, looking, but, looking for the fish and chip shop, <laughs> probably. And some flat beer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what changed when you came here? I don't remember anything significantly Māori really until I went back to university and started studying. Um, And when I did decide to learn Māori at university, it ended up taking over my degree because uh, on my first visit, we were encouraged in our first lectures, first series of lectures, that we could go to the marae at Te Heringawaka and get lunch for $3.00. Uh, the first time I walked in there was uh, it was a little bit scary, I'd have to say, but luckily I had 
there was one face that was familiar from a party that I'd been to, and I took my food and sat down beside him. Um, from then on, I'd I actually found a, a heart. Um, I found my first year at the university I really enjoyed, but I found it quite a soulless place. There wasn't really a heart, and I really found a home in the marae. Meeting people who were brought up with Māori as a first language, who were completely immersed in Māori culture, who who felt a bit awkward in the Pākehā world, felt much more comfortable on the marae, um, were more comfortable using Māori as their, as their language, and, and that really inspired me. So what had turned out to just be a dabbling and learning a bit of pronunciation and how to say kia ora properly ended up becoming a bit of an obsession, I think, um, because I made the decision that if I was going to truly be a teacher who could work anywhere in a New Zealand school, I needed to be able to be completely bilingual. Mark says teaching was a pretty easy career choice. But becoming bilingual wasn't so straightforward. Today he's catching up with Year 11 students in between classes. It's a natural level of fluency that Mark's acquired with dedication and years of practice. The desire to be fluent in te reo Māori goes back to a level 2 Māori language lecture at Victoria University. We had a two-hour lecture in the marae. She must have used five words of English during the whole two hours. And basically she was just explaining the course outline, which was written entirely in Māori. Uh, and the, the level of anxiety in the marae was palpable for these poor students who had come through learning Māori at school certificate through to bursary level. But during that lecture I said, I want that. I want to be able to do that. You know, I don't want to just pick up pieces and learn a few words. I want to be able to fully communicate. So at the end of that year, I went to my first kurareo. I hitched um, from from the railway station in Hastings, um, mistakenly believing that Waimata Mamarai was close. It wasn't. Um, but at the end of that, not only had I met a whole new group of friends uh, and our first meeting was in Māori, but when I went back to university, my lecturer that year was Bebs, uh, John Te Makarini Temera. He heard I'd just come back from Kurareo and said, I'm never going to speak English to you, and he never did. Um, and I think the basis for me of my, uh, my journey in the reo is this collection of mentors, teachers and friends who, who's, who my connection with them is through te reo. And so wherever we meet, um, we would only speak Māori. In that context, though, Mark, who do you say you are? Um, it's an interesting one. Um, I'm still an Englishman. Um, I've been challenged when I say my pepeha, and I link back to the UK. I've been challenged by some of my Māori teachers that I should be linking to this country. Um, I'm still on a British passport. I see myself as a tangata tiriti. My right to be here is based on um, the Treaty of Waitangi. If that hadn't been signed, I wouldn't have an automatic right to be here. Um, so I say in my pepeha that my waka ko, ko te tiriti o Waitangi taku waka as a spiritual connection with uh, the waka journey 
I think it makes much more sense for Pākehā to talk about linking to the tiriti than saying ko e New Zealand taku waka. Uh, I think that that's taking the mickey um, rather. Um, even though I love being in the Ma Te Ao Māori, I love speaking Te Reo Māori and, and operating through tikanga, I think the biggest gift I've got from this whole process is learning about me and who I am and where I connect with the world through my own whakapapa. Take me back to that immersion at uh, Waimarama and on, off the coast of Hawke's Bay. Yeah, what what uh, nervousness at, at wandering into a, a, a Māori environment? Um, it's pretty hard for me to hide, uh, it has to be said. Um, I, I'm six foot six. Um, I'm not a skinny fella anymore. I have, I have when I've stood on the Māori, I sometimes said that 20% of me is is Tangata Whenua because um, I was only 99 kgs when I arrived and I'm over 110 now. Um, I think my desire is what drove me. I, this is something I really wanted and I was prepared to do what I needed to do to get there, whether it was hit, whether it was saving up my money to pay to, pay to go, um, to, whether it was hitching from the railway station to get there whether it was sitting up during the evenings with a highlighter pen, a dictionary and, and a pencil to write down the meanings of words in the book that I didn't know and prepare before lessons and just asking questions when I didn't understand. And I think um, that went a long way to sort of making me feel more comfortable. The, the reality is, and this is probably what's most challenging for a lot of Pākehā, even when I go to Kurareo now, I have no connection. They no, don't know me from my bar of soap. I'm obviously Pākehā because I'm pale and because I don't have my own whakapapa links to te ao Māori, there will be people who will feel uncomfortable with that. And so basically each time you go to a hui, you have to remake connections. But I think that's the same for anybody. Have you had that culture shock experience uh, in, in the Māori world? There's always culture shock. Um, am I ever completely comfortable? No, because um, I think, you know, the, the heart of Māoridom is Tūranga Waiwai and Marae, and I don't have Tūranga Waiwai in, in Aotearoa. I don't have my own place that I can go back to and say, this is my Tūranga Waiwai. Um, yeah, I own a home in Wellington, but I would not be um, arrogant enough to say that this is this is me, this is where I'm from. And so coming back to that point about the citizenship, I think it is important for me to negotiate uh, if I'm choosing to make Wellington my home with Tananaki Whanui Ki Tūpoko that they that their agreement that I can be here, that I can stand on this place, is more important than whether the government does. Since completing his studies, Mark has had a range of teaching roles, all of them involved in Te Reo Māori. He had 17 years in mainstream Wellington schools, before applying for the position at Kura Kaupapa Ona Mokupona in Seton. 
He's one of only a few Pākehā involved in this level of Māori immersion education. But he's passionate about the school and the families that bring their children here from all over Wellington. Whānau who choose to send their kids here have to make some tough decisions. They know that they're going to get not the same level of resourcing. They know that their kids will not have access to the same huge quantity of books that are available in the English world. To be honest, I think Te Ao Māori, the, the, the first whakatauki in Te Aho Matua, which is our guiding document, is he kākanoa mai i rangiātea, e kore e ngaro. I am a seed planted in rangiātea, I will never be lost. Māridom is about potentiality. It's about finding the seed of greatness in everyone. And that means that the, that potential in is, is in everyone. Tell me about your appointment here. I mean, was that, uh, were you conscious that, that, that there was a, a fair bit of um, deep swallowing going on when, when, a, when a Pākehā was appointed to, a, uh, to become principal of a kūtukapa? Absolutely. Um, it's a huge responsibility. Um, the, um, I wouldn't have applied for the job if I didn't think I could do it, if I didn't think I had the skills. Uh, but being non-Māori um, goes against the philosophy of a large number of people who got involved in this kaupapa in the first place about Māori control of Māori things. I see this as um, a professional role, um, and it's it was important that I could provide evidence that, that I could walk the talk. Is it just another subject... Mark, or I mean, have you? Is this part of your life now, and is this uh, something that that happens at home, and uh, and is this Absolutely. where you go? Absolutely. When I when I first went into teaching Māori, it was uh, after conversations with um, with teachers and with um, mentors and um, friends, and I was very clear that I'm filling a gap, I'm filling a need uh, because of the dearth of Māori language teachers, uh, which is still ongoing. But I always said that I'm here until my students tell me that I can go and do something else. The reality is um, that probably won't happen. Would I ever go back into mainstream? Probably not. The challenges of mainstream are mainly around ignorance. Does your school uh, welcome uh, Pākehā children? Absolutely. Te Matua has no reference to, um, to being Māori. It has reference to Whakapapa, it has reference to iwi, it has reference to connections, it has reference to Māori knowledge, but it does not discriminate. Any, any whānau, any child that wanted to learn through Kurakaupapa Māori would be welcome bearing in mind that the medium of instruction is Māori and that they would need to meet that. Um, in the short term, that means that the only students really who can come to Kūrakaupapa Māori are kids who have been to Kōhangareo. But as a teacher who spent a long time in mainstream, I'm very interested in seeing how we can support Fano, who maybe have a revelation when their child is older 
and want to change the pathway to be able to do that. And I take from my own experience, I think um, I've met a huge number of students on my journey, Māori students who have struggled in mainstream because of the restrictions of mainstream, because of the lack of wairua um, in a lot of mainstream schools that would benefit hugely from being in this environment but lack the real skills, but have a huge desire. And I think if we were able to set up systems of wānanga in the school holidays um, and uh, regular classes, there are certainly students with a strong desire and support from whānau that within one year could, or less, could make the transition. Because the reality is if you and I travelled to France tomorrow and made an absolute commitment to immerse ourselves in French in three months we could be working have a working knowledge do you punch, uh, punch yourself sometimes think crocky there he was a he was a journey that started with me coming over here to play rugby <laughs> and here i am in a in a maori immersion uh, yeah school yeah I think, I think <laughs> i'm happy where i am now to be able to say yeah I feel comfortable, I feel that there are still more challenges ahead, but that I'm, I can meet them with equanimity. I don't need to be Māori to be who I am. I don't need to be Māori to be able to do what I do. It, would it help if I was Māori as a tumakia de kurakaupapa? Would it help if I was Māori in terms of what I, um, what I, the journey I followed? Probably. Has it been a burden being Pākehā? At times, yeah. But... Are there benefits? Absolutely. Um, here we sit in Te Kurakaupapa Māori or Ngā where only Māori is spoken apart from in this little space here where I'm talking to you. When we walk through those gates out into the real world, we aren't protected in the same way. When we go to the local shops, when we go to the local cafe, when we go to the bus stop, Māori can still be spoken but it's not expected to be spoken by the vast majority of people. They, most people on hearing Māori being spoken in the streets will do a double take. It's not Māori with a small m, it's not normal. And that's what it should be. Māori te reo Māori. Māori should be normal in its own country. Um, and so that is only going to happen connection by connection, house by house, room by room in a business and creating safe spaces for the young children that I'm working with to be able to be normal in their own country. We're perfectly comfortable travelling to Thailand or Japan and recognising that we will not understand what's going on but we're not prepared to do it in our own country. As soon as people start speaking in Māori other people have an expectation that you must speak English and therefore you should, or you need to explain to me what you're saying. What's wrong with being ignorant? What's wrong with not understanding? How much uh, of the survival of the language rests on the sometimes quite small shoulders of some of the kids uh, that you have coming through this school? The more te reo is spoken, the more it will survive the more people who start learning, the more it will survive. But the survival of the language as a living language requires 
the return to the home. At the moment, the language is a language of education. A living language is a language that is passed from generation to generation in a natural progression. The language that I learned was the language of university of books. I've been able to refine it by immersion. But the students in this school are learning te reo u kaipo, language passed at the same time as a mother's milk. And that is where language survival lies. We have an obligation to the generations to preserve this language as a unique expression of New Zealand. Has this journey you've been on in, in Tao Māori given you some gifts you don't think you would have got otherwise? Absolutely. That there's, there's been a huge, huge, huge benefit to me um, personally. Um, and being able to find a place, finally, where I can feel comfortable. Um, there are plenty of challenges still ahead, but I've reached a point for me where... I feel that I'm able to contribute um, to the things that I'm passionate about and, and make a difference because I, I'm balanced in myself as a Pākehā in the Māori world. My Pākehā identity, my Māori identity is comfortable and more balanced through being able to be doing what I'm doing.